Welcome to See You on the Other Side, where the world of the mysterious collides with the world of entertainment. A discussion of art, music, movies, spirituality, the weird, and self-discovery. And now, your hosts, musicians and entertainers who have their own weakness for the weird, Mike and Wendy from the band Sunspot. Oh man, Wendy, I am excited. You're excited too? Because I'm excited. I am terrifically excited to get to the warm climes of Southern California. Uh, We're going to escape from Wisconsin. That's right. This week, um, for any of our California or Los Angeles area listeners, Southern Southern California listeners, we will be uh, performing in Anaheim right next to Disney World. So if you're on vacation, going to some Disney, uh, you can see us uh, Thursday night at McFadden's. And we'll be up at nine o'clock. We'll be playing the rest of the night in McFadden's uh, next to Disney. And on Sunday, where are we going to be when? Sunday, we're going to be in Silver Lake in Los Angeles at the Silver Lake Lounge at 8 p.m. And these are both free shows. So please stop on by. I mean, how often can you go to a free concert anywhere, uh, but especially in Los Angeles? I mean, it, <laughs> right, it's expensive right. there. So, so um, please come and join us, or if you know anybody out there that might like to go to a free concert and meet up with us, please forward the word along, because we're always looking to meet new friends, and friendly faces in the audience is what we like to see. <laughs> absolutely, and we'll be, play, we'll be playing songs we wrote for the podcast. So if you guys like any of the See You on the Other Side music, um, that's the stuff we'll be playing at our live shows in uh, Orange County and Los Angeles this week. So we wanted to get that red alert out. Uh, we're excited to get out of the cold, even if it's just for a few days, and have some fun in California. And of course, if we get any haunted stories or see any UFOs or anything like that, uh, you'll be the first to know about it on the See You on the Other Side podcast. All right, and we got a really good interview for you today. Lyle Blackburn is a paranormal investigator, 40 and He is a monster hunter. And a musician. And a band dude. One of us. <laughs> so we love it. So we love it. <laughs> so let's get to the interview with Lyle. Lyle Blackburn is an author, musician, film producer, and cryptid researcher from Texas. His acclaimed books, Beast of Boggy Creek, Beyond Boggy Creek, and Lizard Man, reflect his lifelong fascination with legends and sighting reports of unknown creatures. We are so happy to welcome this monster hunter extraordinaire to the podcast. Lyle, thank you for joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So we should start out with, the, with our first basic question. How did you get to be a weirdo? <laughs> I was born that way. Okay. Apparently, <laughs> apparently according to my parents. Uh, yeah, just something I was fascinated with uh, since a very early age, all sort of horror movies. And, you know, once I discovered cryptozoology, uh, you know, that, the, that there may be real life monsters, so to speak, in the world, I just read all the books that I could on that. Um, I eventually saw a movie called The Legend of Boggy Creek back in the late 70s, and uh, that that took that was a Bigfoot-like creature in southern Arkansas that uh, uh, where I lived. So that really captured my imagination, and then from there, it's just sort of a lifelong fascination. And uh, once I eventually wrote a book on on the history of The Legend of Boggy Creek, that sort of you know, brought me into this world of uh, cryptozoology and radio, podcast, TV, and everything else. Nice. 
Now, I, uh, I've seen the Boggy Creek movie. I remember uh, Allison got it on DVD and, and we all watched it one night. And so for the people that maybe aren't familiar uh, with the legend of Boggy Creek, can you maybe just get us up to speed real quick in your, you know, the, the, the two-minute version of your probably 200-page book? <laughs> well, basically, The Legend of Boggy Creek was a movie that came out in 1972. It's sort of a docudrama horror movie, but it was inspired and based on uh, real-life sightings of a Bigfoot-like creature in uh, southern Arkansas near the Texas and Louisiana borders. Now, I'm from Texas, so, of course, that's close to me. Right. Um, you know, and this was one of the first times that people realized there was Bigfoot creatures in other places than the Pacific Northwest. I mean, you know, newspapers had run articles like this, but the Boggy Creek case was uh, significant because there was a lot of sightings, there was a lot of newspaper coverage, uh, a lot of hype on it. So uh, when the movie came out in the 70s, it was a huge hit. It played in drive-ins and uh, movie theaters and eventually on TV and made millions of dollars. So people of a certain age, you know, pretty much all knew of that movie. I mean, I've run into countless people. I loved the movie. Uh, kind of have a southern flavor, and and when I was looking for a subject to write a book, I thought, man, that'd be perfect. It's sort of you know, it's got a Bigfoot mystery. It's got you know, southern uh, flavor to it, and I just set out to write a book, which was the history of the sightings, which dated back many years, um, and then the making of the movie and how all that played in, and then as well, there are still sightings in that area. So you know, it wasn't so much a history book, but a book that. Uh, was a continuing story. So all of that is basically The Beast of Boggy Creek, which was my first book. Well, I like what you were saying there when you were saying uh, that the, the sightings in the Pacific Northwest versus Boggy Creek, which had a Southern flavor. And so um, is there anything unique or uh, uniquely to the the Beast of Boggy Creek that's different um, than what we read, like we think about the Sasquatch of our Harry and the Hendersons or something like that. That is our, that is our picture of it. Is there something like, is he drinking a mid julep or something like that or a cowboy hat? Like what's the, what's unique about the legend of Boggy Creek? Well, it might be nice if he was drinking a mint julep, but he was, <laughs> uh, it, he was known to be aggressive and mm. attack people. And that was one of the things that made a great horror movie because in real life, people had reported, you know, this creature stalking around their homes, trying to get in. There was a lot of, you know, shotgun fire going on down there, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, it was something that uh, was a little bit different. I mean, you know, Bigfoot, we, we sort of had the Patterson-Gimlin film, you know, a creature that sort of gave a wary glance back, but it didn't attack. You know, it could have. It just sort of said, hey, I know you're there. I'm walking on. You know, most of the Bigfoot reports that had come in were footprints found and, you know, brief glimpses of it. But with the Boggy Creek case, what you had is, you know, some some excitement and, you know, s sensational accounts where the creature had attacked people. So that was that was kind of it. It was a little taller, leaner, meaner type of a thing. Uh, the hair was longer. So it kind of just had that kind of southern swampy kind of feel to it as opposed to, you know, the bulkier Bigfoot of the Pacific Northwest. Just in the past year, people talking about Bigfoot, it's something I never thought about as a, as a kid, is that when I was always thinking about Bigfoot, I was just thinking of an undiscovered species. That this is, you know, that, that Bigfoot will be completely within the realms of 
regular science. It's just a kind of hominid that we hadn't discovered yet or a kind of great ape uh, unique to the United States or North America that we we, we just hadn't had a um, been able to discover, been able to uh, categorize in the whole thing. And then people started talking about Bigfoot sightings accompanied by uh, men in black or UFOs or high strangeness associated with once you see Bigfoot, then you start seeing other things. Is there any of that like in Boggy Creek, like people would have sightings of something and then maybe something else unusual would happen to them? Yeah, it's all just purely sightings. There's no, there was no use, no, you know, paranormal activity disappearing or anything like that. It just appeared to be, you know, some sort of a biological creature. Okay. And that, I think that's a really good distinction. Um, because more and more people are focusing on the uh, on weirdness happening along with that. And it seems like Boggy Creek would be more of a standard, like how we think of a materialist perspective when it comes to, uh, you know, cryptozoology. What, what do you think is the best hypothesis or what do you think is your best guess of what might the, the, the creature of Boggy Creek have been? Well, you know, I mean, it's all purely speculation, obviously. And, uh, you know, I, I think operate under the premise that you know bigfoot and derivative creatures in the south are you know some sort of undiscovered primate a hominid like you say um that has somehow miraculously managed to remain elusive all this time i mean animals can do amazing things and if there was a small population of these that had a certain higher intelligence then it's possible that they could you know manage to stay hidden with only a few sightings here and there uh, but you know that's that's just my speculation i mean a lot of people thought that it could have been some other sort of ape an orangutan a chimpanzee anything like that. I mean, so everything was just sort of thrown out there. And of course, you know, compared to Sasquatch. So I think that, you know, if you start looking into the Southern sightings, including skunk ape all the way to Florida, you do kind of get a feel that the creatures could be somewhat different than, you know, the traditional Bigfoot. And that, that could just be, uh, you know, something related or a species or adaptations the creatures had undergone from living in a completely different environment, you know, which was often swampier and a lot, obviously a lot more hot down here. So, um, but, you know, with, uh, I, I see all the other theories and I think those all come into play when you have something you cannot solve. I mean, people have these sightings, you're just looking for explanation. So, you know, it's, it's just really hard to say what these creatures are. You just keep, you know, taking reports and trying to build some sort of a profile. So it sounds to me, Lyle, like you're more of like a flesh and blood than paranormal uh, cryptozoologist. Would that be accurate? Yeah, that would be accurate. I mean, I, I take, you know, I've taken hundreds of Bigfoot reports and very few of them uh, are paranormal in nature. A lot of those get people pass those around. It seems like there's a lot more, but, you know, I, in, Almost every one. There's no UFO reports. There's no men in black. There's no weird, you know, thing that it did. It just seemed like some sort of an animal of some sort that was exposed for a moment and then went back into the woods. So just basing on my personal interviews, you know, and I've have, you know, I have gotten some weird reports, but typically those I find very not very credible. The ones that have all this other bizarre stuff to it. 
um, not so credible, you know, but occasionally there are some that I just can't explain. So, I, you know, for lack of any other proof, I just sort of operate under the assumption that this is some sort of an ape. And until I can, you know, if I see one or if somebody has a body or something, we can certainly make better, you know, conclusions. Until one materializes and disappears before your eyes, then you're like, no, it's probably got to go back to a cave somewhere. If it does that, then I'm, I'm, I, you know, I may adjust my theory. There are some people that speculate, or or even witnesses that uh, was talking to one yesterday, that um, report that Bigfoot type creatures may have some type of, you know, I don't want to say powers, but you know, have have some skills that you know humans don't necessarily uh, possess. You know, more in line of like echolocation, being able to s- stun their prey, like uh, like uh, dolphins do, for example, or cause you know, vibrations in the environment through some other method or some some other kind of um, uh, hiding or uh, obfuscation technique that they have that, you know, maybe other animals have. Um, have you heard any of those type of um, things uh, having to do with the more Southern reports? Uh, in a few cases. And yeah, I mean, I agree that, you know, they, they could have some of these uh, abilities that, you know, aren't typical of of most animals and i mean it still is in the realm of you know natural creatures they can just do amazing things and i mean you know i mean i've been out on survival training with marines and those guys can disappear right in front of your eyes literally they are trained you can look right at them and not see them and I, i i got some of that training and realized wow you know if if a person, a marine, a, a human can do this, then if these animals have any sort of, uh, you know, above average abilities, then they certainly could do miraculous looking things. And there is a few reports I've gotten from witnesses in which the witness was overcome with fear, almost as if, you know, the creature was projecting some sort of a... Um, it, it, almost a mental thing. I mean, yeah. but, uh, you know, or maybe EMF, right? Cause EMF yeah. can create that in people. So something like that. And, and they couldn't explain the, the fear that had overcome them. So you've got those. And I, I think, you know, yeah, I mean, they could have something like this and if they could do that, then certainly it starts getting in the realms of what seems supernatural, but you know, it's, it's not magic. It's purely things that we don't understand. Yeah, some kind of adaptation that, you know, uh, and and some of it, you know, like echolocation, like stunning your prey using that, I mean, does have a, a natural precedent. Right. Yeah, I mean, you know, other other creatures can do things like that. So, you know, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Bigfoot of any sort could do something of that nature. I can't be the only person that every time somebody says EMF, like in the back of my head, I hear, you're unbelievable. Oh, like, does anybody, like every time someone's like, oh yeah, it must be EMF. And I'm like, yeah, that's me too. I love that. Well, now that's what's going to happen. I've ruined the K2 for everybody. Oh. (laughs) So I want to talk Lizard Man too. Uh, So you also did a book about lizard men can you tell us a little bit about that cryptid um well 
there are a classification of cryptids known as lizard men, and these are basically reptilian humanoid type creatures that have been seen um, in a variety of places uh, in North America and, and elsewhere. Uh, my book focuses on a case from the late 80s near Bishopville, South Carolina, the Bishopville Lizard Man. And that was one that I kind of ran across in a lot of, you know, cryptozoology books from time to time. And I was really fascinated with that because it it was just like people saying that they had seen a creature from the Black Lagoon, essentially, uh, in this you know rural area of South Carolina. So it was a case that, you know, I wanted to know more about. So I went out to Bishopville uh, sometime after my Beast of Boggy Creek book had come out and just sort of looked into that case and there was a retired sheriff out there that had um, been there when all these reports and the witnesses were coming forward in the late 80s and he investigated the case and had a lot of police files on it. Now, I mean, he wasn't necessarily convinced there was a quote-unquote lizard man, but he, he was convinced that the people had seen something and it was something strange and he had to look into it. So, um, that creature, obviously, you start, now you're getting into uh deeper realms where how do you explain biologically something that you know is anthropomorphic or human-like but has reptilian characteristics and of course there's a lot of theories about that sort of thing um but to me in my books i simply i simply just tell the story i mean i'm not trying to necessarily you know make people believe in any certain thing i mean i offer the theories and then people can decide so in that case it was just extremely strange and it was this uh, creature and again there was some sensational stories where it attacked a, a young man in that skateboard swamp so you had the attacks you had the creature uh just another one of these great southern monster mysteries well with this particular lizard man attack so when people saw the lizard man like we when people see bigfoot they can picture the you know they always think about the patterson gimlin film and and they're always seeing a kind of a primate like like we're conditioned to be able to think about like what gorillas look like or what chimps or orangutans um look like but when people see a, like a lizard man were they, i mean it wasn't a like in clothes or anything, or I mean, when you say anthropomorphized, um, you know, it, it wasn't like a, a lizard masquerading as a, as a person, or I mean, was it just a, a humanoid lizard, like naked, and, you know what I mean, uh, in the in the swamp, or or what were <laughs> well, what did this what did the sightings entail? Because to me, like if if it was David Icke talking, he'd be like, well, Prince Charles right, ripped right. his face off, and there was a lizard underneath, <laughs> you know. So right, well, yeah. What's the difference? Well, and, and that's the thing. If you, you know, if you look at the newspaper reports at the time, and there was a lot, a lot of them. I mean, this thing was featured even on like Good Morning America and things. It was just a huge deal. The newspaper illustrations would often draw like a, you know, like what looked like a lizard with a long, you know, mouth and a tail and all this stuff, you know, but that's not what the, what the witnesses described. They did, did describe something that was uh, roughly human in nature, it stood upright. It was maybe six or seven feet tall. They said, you know, obviously it wore no clothes. It was, they, it looked to be either brownish or green. It looked like it was scaly or reptilian in some way. And, you know, some had a better look at it and described it as having like three fingered uh, hands, um, claws, 
things like that. But, you know, it's just a little bit more, well, I don't know, I'd say plausible, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't a, a crocodile running around upright in clothes, you know, chasing <laughs> people. And sometimes the drawings were literally something like that. It was ridiculous. But if you read the police reports, um, even some of those say that to them, it looked like it may have had even like brownish hair. I mean, the, the, you know, people at night seeing things, you you know, it's not posing for a picture. So, the, you know, the the basic generalities were that it was a humanoid type reptilian creature. But, you know, the, there's details that you have to try to sort between. So it seemed like an animal, not like uh, like a... Uh a humanoid, like we're humanoids. So it seemed more animalistic than, you know, what David Icke would talk about, you know, some kind of shape-shifting creature that appears human, but it's really lizard underneath. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that it's different than that. I mean, these were, the sightings here, you're, you're in a, mostly in a remote swamp, in a, you know, Bishopville's a very small town, you know, there's woods all around it. Wasn't a sort of thing where somebody saw a person and they transformed or just even briefly transformed. None of that. It, was, it appeared to be, like I said, some like a creature from the Black Lagoon that had come up out of skateboard swamps. It was much more, to me, I looked at it as a cryptozoology case, but others could obviously look at it as, as something more along David Icke, I guess. Yeah. And uh, with the Bishopville creature, uh, didn't it leave some... Didn't it? Uh, I, I might be mixing this with other cases, so please forgive me if I am. But didn't it attack a car? Yeah, the, in in July of 1988, the most famous sighting is when Christopher Davis, a young man uh, who was working late at a fast food restaurant near Bishopville, was had to drive home through the skateboard swamp area. He had a flat tire out there, and. As he finished up changing the tire and putting the jack back into his trunk, he sees something uh, coming at him across the fennel grass out there. It was enough moonlight that he could see well enough. And at first he thought it was a person. I mean, it was upright. It was moving towards him uh, fairly rapidly. Of course, I mean, that's scary enough. I mean, you're out there in the middle of nowhere. It's not where you want to have a flat tire. And he's, he's you know, scared from that aspect. And then, But he said as it got closer – it appeared to be something that was not human, something reptilian. And he said, of course, he jumps in his vehicle and fires it up and starts going, uh, starts trying to get out of there. And the thing jumps on the car and tries to reach in. It's reaching in through the window, trying to grab him. He had his window down. It was July, you know. Terrifying. Very scary. He said he managed to swerve. It fell off and it still was running after him. And, you know, you know, got away eventually. And that became sort of the cornerstone sighting. And, of course, the, the most sensational of these uh, witness encounters. And that that was uh, one that uh, he, he was the sheriff had interviewed him. He had taken lie detector tests and the police felt that absolutely something happened to that kid. He saw something. They just couldn't figure out what it was. And was there actual documented damage? Uh, yes. He, the There was damage on the car, uh, broken uh, driver's side window, uh, I mean, mirror, and 
some some scratches or something like that that his father examined when he got home because Christopher ran in the house just you know white as a sheet scared to death his father's like what happened and he kind of explained so his father went out and looked at the car they didn't go to the police right away because they just didn't know what to say i mean like what do you do but by happenstance a couple of weeks later there was some other incidents that happened that news reporters got wind of and put it in the paper so then christopher davis's dad thought well this could be one and the same type creature. So they came to the police at that point. Well, that's an interesting uh, development right there. Like, I like how that is. So you have, like, so this lizard man things happen, and the dad might be like, oh, God, the kid got into an accident, and now he's talking about lizard people. Like, he's probably high, working at Taco Bell. All right. <laughs> but then, two weeks later, the lizard man, like, attacks somebody or whatever, and then he's like, well, how can this, like, it's, it's that kind of corroboration, like, in the days before the internet in the days before a silly forum post or whatever could spread through uh, like wildfire. So that makes it interesting. Like, okay, now we come forward because, yeah, my son had a, I mean, he met the lizard man a couple weeks ago and he attacked the car. What I think, though, he, something like this, though, is that when you're talking about swampy areas, when you're talking about Bishopville, uh, it's South Carolina. Yes. In that area, would these people have been familiar with alligators like is that is that an area where so they know the difference like you know if people are familiar with a certain kind of creature you'd be like okay yeah that's not just an alligator because we know what an alligator looks like and an alligator doesn't jump up and break the window oh, oh absolutely i mean there, there was i mean there, i wouldn't say there's a lot of alligators in this area where this occurred in that part of the swamp um because it's sort of a, a get it's in a channel at that point but absolutely they knew this the difference between an alligator and something like this. I mean, even a bear. I mean, you know, the the people could distinguish between that. I mean, they lived in this rural area. And, and stories had circulated prior to this. Once the police got involved, they realized that, oh, the, well, the locals had been talking about this for, uh, you know, going on a year or a couple of years before that. But no one had ever gone to the police. It wasn't until... A newspaper reporter just happened to be on site when they investigated one of the incidents that it involved a car um, that once it got out in the news, then here comes Christopher Davis. And here comes a couple of other uh, old timers that came forward and said, well, I don't I, you know, don't think that kid's crazy because I saw something down in the swamp a couple of years ago. You know, but I mean, what do you, what did you do with that information? So then, yeah, it seems to corroborate everything that's going on. And so uh, you've also been involved in the Small Town Monsters uh, video series. Uh, So you've, you've been investigating many, many different types of creatures of late, haven't you? Yeah, certainly. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've investigated or taking reports of sightings of just about every sort of cryptid um, and, you know, been able to, you know, in some cases write books and in some cases translate those to the films with small town monsters. So, I mean, there's always a ongoing, uh, you know, research into every sort of cryptid. Can you talk a little bit more about the, those films and your production work uh, with those films? Uh, yeah, if, 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 if anybody hasn't seen the Small Town Monsters films, uh, they're a documentary series done by director Seth Breedlove, and they're located, the company is basically located in Ohio. Um, he had done a couple of them. He did um, 
the Minerva monster from another kind of Bigfooty case from Ohio, and he did The Beast of Whitehall, which is the famous Bigfoot in New York. And for his third film, uh, you know, eventually when you do something called Small Town Monsters, you've got to do Legend of Boggy Creek. I mean, Absolutely. you have to do the, the Falk <laughs> Monster. So Seth and I, Seth and I had met uh, before he ever started this, and we had discussed our love for these sort of small town monster cases. And so his third film, he wanted to do Boggy Creek. So uh, obviously, I'd done all the research, all the work on that. So uh, we collaborated to bring that uh, to film. Um, I'm I'm the narrator. Um, I helped write the script. Uh, you know, helped arrange all the filming and the witnesses. And I'm seen in that film. So in in parts, it's kind of me in real life uh, talking to the witnesses. Um, that worked very well. So going forward, the next film was The Mothman of Point Pleasant. So uh, for that one, I wasn't – most of these, I mean, it's, I'm not in the film, you know, in that one. Uh, but I narrated it and was the executive producer. So I was involved um, in that way. And then going forward, we're going to do one, uh, The Bray Road Beast on the famous Dogman case. Hey! We're, we're talking to you from Wisconsin, so, yeah, so we, <laughs> and we're great friends with, with uh, Linda Godfrey, so I'm excited to hear that. And been to Bray Road, and Wendy, what did we see? <laughs> what did we see? Yeah. <laughs> we heard some scary sounds. <laughs> that was a, yeah, no. That was mainly because of the burritos, right? <laughs> nice. <laughs> no red eyes, but um, when you come up here was, to Wisconsin, please let us know. Do you typically go to the locations yourself? Uh. Well, I mean, obviously, when I was in the Boggy Creek film, we filmed yeah. on location uh, for Mothman. I, I wasn't along for any of the interviews. I've been to Point Pleasant quite a few times and have uh, that. Uh, for the Bray Road Beast, I'm not sure if I'll be on set for that or not. But, you know, I assume as we have planned or tentatively, I'll narrate that one as I've done the other ones and be involved in you know some aspect of the film production. When is that expected to be out? Uh, I, I'm honestly not sure what the schedule of release is. It it starts filming in March, I oh. believe, and, uh, sometime around the spring. So you know, usually it's about six months. So I would assume something uh, in, in the way of October. But you know, don't quote me on that. Perfect. Yeah, well, I, I, we won't. But well, I, I'm just so up, excited to hear about that. Bring your band, Ghoul Town. <laughs> To Wisconsin, right? And then we can all get together and play a show and have it like be a paranormal themed <laughs> show in Wisconsin near uh, near Bray Road because we could, there's Delavan and East Troy and Elkhorn and they all have uh, little dive bars that we can invade for the <laughs> evening. <laughs> Well, uh, I will throw that at them and see if they will consent. That sounds like a plan. That sounds like a paranormal party. We're going. Well, you know, something I'm interested in, uh, Lyle, is yourself, that you've you've gone to all these locations. You you guys are doing production, and we haven't done a lot of paranormal videos, but when we've gone out and shot music videos or little film projects, you'd be in the forest, sometimes in the middle of the night, you and a light and a camera and maybe a couple of actors and... Um, maybe an assistant, if, if it's a lucky day, there's an assistant. Um, so when you're out there shooting, you could see something. Sometimes you're in the middle of nowhere and you could see something, you could hear something. When you've been out there exploring, investigating, producing things, have you had any experiences that you can't explain? Well, I mean, in the case of filming Boggy Creek Monster, we were, we were filming an interview with one of the witnesses and, and a witness that 
I had known previously and find is a credible guy. Uh, we were interviewing him at the spot where he, he had seen, uh, had had an encounter several years ago. And right as we were doing the interview, you hear this bizarre howl, howling moan come out of the swamp. And I could see the, the camera guys sort of like, they kind of looked and, and uh, they're like, what was that? And just like as casually and nonchalantly as you can imagine, our witness just said, well, that was one of them right there. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, were, and the cameraman and the sound guy's like, this is way too real. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it was pretty spooky. We were racing because it was so muddy that we couldn't even get one of the vehicles. I, they were basically following me around because I knew all the spots to go. And I have a four-wheel drive truck. They couldn't get their rent rent vehicle to the to the location. It was had rain. It was too muddy. So we had taken a skeleton crew, if you will, to to down there to film. And, and so we were running low, running behind, and the the light was you know failing. The sun was going down, and this right at the time that this howl occurred. So I mean, you never know what you're going to get out there. And of course, you know they that was an unexpected thing that went on. And if you watch the movie, you can see that they, you know, he puts that in there and say, while we were on, you know, I narrated whatever, while we were on location, you know, we experienced an unexplained how that uh, sounds much like those alleged vocalizations of Bigfoot. And so, you know, right then and there, it's just a cool thing to happen. I have a question about, you know, you, you've taken in all these witness reports and I wanted to ask about, like, how you judge uh, witness credibility or the credibility of accounts. What is your process? Well, I mean, some of it is it's got to be purely instinct, your gut feeling. I mean, because ultimately, you know, you don't know these people well, and, you know, you just have to try to get what you can out of it. But I mean, after doing so many, you, you can see the pattern on the ones that, you know, are less credible. Um, they, you know, they, they have some, something seems like a, a solid encounter and then suddenly there's more and more and more and more and more, all this stuff. Oh, and also a UFO and also a lizard man and all, you know, and, you know, you kind of build a profile of these people. And so my process is to sort of eliminate those that I feel are, just way out there and you know also look at the person you know i mean you got to look what, what are they well spoken what's their occupation um you know where did they see this what is the description i mean if the description is well it was exactly six foot nine inches it you know all these you know you tend to get too detailed you a red flag goes up um but you know, all of this you have to put together to try to eliminate those that uh, seem not necessarily that they're making things up, but making more of something, you know, making more of a shadow or a tree and separate that from the people that uh, you believe actually seen have seen something. And some of these witnesses I get to know, especially in the Boggy Creek case, you know, I interviewed some of these guys nearly 10 years ago. I still know them. When I go up to Falk, I still see them. And those are ones that, you know, you can really, uh, 
make a, a better decision because you've known this person for a much longer time rather than somebody you just met or somebody you talk on the phone. So, you know, each one's different and you just, my process is just to try to be as neutral as possible, listen to what they say, ask as many questions as I can, and when possible, go to the place where they saw it and interview them on site. And that usually gives me a sense of, of what it was. What I'm interested in too is, um, like when you were talking about the the Bishopville sightings, we're talking about Boggy Creek, the police got involved. You know, like there was like, well, we better go check this out. So how many cases do you think do the do the police get involved of checking out monsters, even if they think the idea is crazy or whatever, but they still have to check it out or they still take the time to check it out? Um, and has that changed over time where people might have relied on the police before or now they don't go to the police as much or they don't bring in the authorities? Because it seems like especially even in the, in the Mothman case and stuff, like people were calling the cops. They were like, I saw something weird. And they, they call, do people still call the cops? Is that... Has that changed at all? Well, I don't think it's changed in that people do still call the police and report these things. But I think the police these days are a lot more skeptical and a lot less uh, willing to go out and look into sighting of a Bigfoot or something. You see, you see it in going back in time. You do see that the police back in earlier times would actually look into these. I mean, I've got newspaper reports from the you know, 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s, and almost all of that, where you have a flap of sightings, the the police got involved, and oftentimes organized hunts to look for these things uh, would, you know, get the posse out and go in the woods. Uh, uh, in the 70s, he, you know, he took these reports seriously. And he just was trying to find the truth. And we interviewed him in the film. And you see right there that when you listen to this guy, you're like, something was going on down there, you know. And again, he was he tried to remain neutral, but he did have his officers looked into it. He personally looked into it. In the case of the Bishop Bill Lizardman, late 80s, uh, there's a case in uh, the 90s in which a, a huge Bigfoot-like footprint was found near Elkins Creek in Georgia. That was found by a... Uh, a deputy officer who went down there in his own time during the day because he was convinced that these people were seeing some unexplained thing around their home. Well, he found this huge track. It's one of the best Bigfoot tracks ever found. Moving forward, though, like I said, if you call the cops now, unless you've got a really good story, they're probably not going to go and, and look as too big. You know, TV icon, a, a pop culture thing now, and they just don't want to deal with it. Well, I tell you, I'm in I'm in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, right now, the home of making a murderer. So if I call the cops around here, they'll probably frame me for a homicide. So I, I'm not calling anybody. <laughs> I wouldn't do that if I were you. Yeah. <laughs> and speaking of controversial subjects, well, um, you know, we we are in Wisconsin and not that far from Chicago. And I really admire uh, you as a, a monster hunter, Lyle, uh, especially that you've talked to so many witnesses and you try to talk to them at the location where the sightings happen. And it, it sounds like you, you really try to vet your reports to separate fact from fiction. And I 
you know, uh, with these Chicago Mothman sightings was so excited initially because I'm like, well, this this is close enough. I can get there. I can get there and I can um, see what I can find out. So that's that's what I did for, you know, several months. Uh, every weekend was down and dro- drove down to Chicagoland and went to each of the 60 original Chicago Mothman sighting locations and documented them all on video on YouTube. Um, it's uh, youtube.com slash Mothman. And unfortunately, what I discovered is the bulk of the reports didn't match up with, you know, some basic like landmarks, for instance. And I found, you know, them to be very implausible when I was actually on the ground uh, you know, boots on the ground, seeing the location. Uh, are you aware at all of the the Chicagoland Mothman sightings of you know mainly 2017? Although there are uh, a couple in uh, 2011. Yeah, surely. I mean, you know, I've followed a lot of those reports that Lon Strickler posted uh, on his Phantoms and Monsters site, and that's where I uh, was reading about. It. And it was one of those things where, yeah, with like if I had enough time and money to get on that one, I would have wanted to go up there and do exactly what you did. And it's great. What you did is, is, is good stuff because a lot of times, you know, these reports are just posted verbatim uh, without somebody having gone to the site. And, you know, that's okay if it's one or two, but when they start adding up like that, you got to be a little skeptical. It's like, okay, this is good. Here's another one. Here's another, you know, um, and I was kind of thinking, you know, some of those, it was like, it was very clear and the sighting was up close with three or four people yet, you know, I hadn't seen any news coverage, you know, yeah. it, it just, something was kind of suspicious about those. So, um, I mean, I'm no expert and haven't, obviously haven't looked into them like you're, you have, but you know, that's the kind of investigation that needs to happen on this stuff is somebody needs to go there and go, is this a place where this could have even happened? I'm yeah. you're trying to match up. Right. The reports, you know, good stuff. I'd like to follow up with that, though, because, Lyle, like you said, you follow different stuff from all over the country. And you've probably looked into reports and looking into the small town stuff and looking into the things that have been overlooked. And so as a monster hunter, like you said, like, man, if I'd had the wherewithal, I got to Chicago right away. Check that out. Right. 70 reports. Like, you got to go. But is there something you think is criminally overlooked? Uh, in the world of monster hunting that you're like, you know what? No one's investigated this. And as soon as uh, I can figure out a way, I'm jumping on this because <laughs> I wish that somebody had investigated it the right way or or something you saw that hasn't been fully, I hate to use the word exploited, but investigated or thoroughly enough checked out in your stories, especially because you probably get a lot and read a lot of the reports from places that we haven't heard about. I mean, there's there's none that's like, you know, monumentally uh you know unreported or things like that i mean but almost in all of these i find that there's more to the story than what's kind of glossed over in books like like the lizard man case you know i'd read about that piece it's just piecemeal but when you go up there suddenly i found reports that had never been published and information and things like that um there's there's some always on my list you know it's it's hard to like even get to them all but there's i find that even if there's uh, a small amount if you actually can go there you can you can find more i mean the the chicago mothman's a 
a case where in that case, like the reverse stuff was yeah. just coming out, whether you, you know, without having to do anything, but usually it's the opposite. You know, yeah. if you go and talk to the locals and they go, Oh yeah, you know, people saw that. And maybe yeah. I know of three sightings. Suddenly I know now of eight or nine more because I went there and there's, I mean, there's a case of, of a river monster where I have a really killer video and it's been analyzed by software, a software expert and there's one where um, I did some digging and suddenly a woman said she had seen a basically a prehistoric like creature in this river. And, you know, I'm like, okay, that's on my list definitely to follow up. And, you know, I just sort of have a running list. And sometimes the economics of this, people think that I get paid to go around and, you know, and look into these things. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a dream job? <laughs> right. You, you don't really get paid for looking into them. I have to translate these into books and things. And I just don't, don't just put stuff on blogs, you know, because I like to check it out more thoroughly. Once yeah. it gets, if it makes it to my book, then that's the ones I've spent a lot of time on or one of my film projects. So there's kind of a list and the way I can make these happen, if I can turn it into a film or a book, then that kind of offsets the cost of doing it so it's a real challenge you know to to be able to facilitate these as you all well know um to go and get in more in depth into these and sort of make it worth your while so there's there's a list i have going so well where was that river monster I mean, we well, maybe we, he wants to keep it on the we're down not low. We're going to steal it from. I'm like, he tell, he's well, got, he can Well, this is public. <laughs> but I'm just interested to see, like, um, if it was a specific area or there, you know, there's more to it. Uh, well, there, there. The only reason I'm hesitant on that is because I am. There is a film project in the works ah. which yeah. would encompass that. Keep it on so the down low. It's all right. Being somewhat <laughs> vague, but it, I will say it was in the Louisiana area. And this kind of – it kind of ties in with uh, another more famous case uh, from Arkansas, the White River Monster, um, that's more of an older case. But there was a lot of newspaper coverage and many sightings. So this is in the, in the southern area like that, which you don't have a lot of, quote-unquote, river monsters around here. I mean, you know, in the northern part of America, you have tons of lake monsters, you know what I mean? But yeah, again, I mean, in the like South, yeah. I mean, we we don't have a lot of that. I mean, you got the Oklahoma octopus, which Ooh. I don't I don't find. <laughs> it's a, it's like the coolest cryptid name, but I don't find a lot of credibility of that. Good alliteration. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's good stuff. And if I can turn that into a movie, I will. <laughs> <laughs> well, Lyle, it is just so awesome to talk to you. And I'm, I, I'm really excited about what you said about how you vet witnesses and it's just seems to be it seems to me to be crucial for people to understand that when you write a book you really spend time uh you know making sure that the best cases get into the book and and I think what we have to watch out for is you know people just calling in cases and then them just being uh, spread on the internet as if it's gospel. That's just like believing the people that call in the coast to coast on Fridays, like the, the coast right, to coast right. open call in. Like you listen to it and you're like, wow, if this stuff is real, there's really, you know, that's yeah. like publishing that as a book and saying, hey guys, this is real. So it's really refreshing to hear the way your process is because to me, you know, I agree with you. You know, if you go to an area and the story gets bigger, I mean, you knew about a little something and then you go and then it's like, wow. 
there's so many witnesses that claim to have seen it. I mean, then you have something you can sink your teeth in. Whereas I found the opposite was true with the Chicago Mothman. You know, there was such a big, you know, fervor with all these reports. And then you go to the actual location and these reports seem to unravel. And there isn't, there isn't, you know, that um, evidence there that you would expect. Well, I appreciate that, and I think, yeah, that's that's good stuff. And, and whenever possible, that's the that's the way these things need to be undertaken. And for me, I, I think the story is still interesting. That's the thing. I'm not yeah. trying to force an agenda or make people to believe into it. If we go and we go to Chicago and we look into this story and it unravels, it's still a cool story. Like how this even happened, and right. like what were these reports? And I looked here and I looked there. That's a you know, that's, you know, a YouTube series right there. And it's still Fortiana. It's, it's still, still Fortiana, right. like the social phenomena of it. It's still cool. So it, I see so much of a problem now with all these, you know, call-in radio shows with every week somebody's reporting the most unbelievable Sasquatch <laughs> encounter. You know, I'm like, how, what was the screening process on this? Because some of those are probably legit. Maybe some of them aren't because I've got a whole pile of stuff that are not in my books. People that I interviewed, oh, you got to talk to this guy. I'm like, uh, that's a bunch of nonsense. And I just right. don't include it. There's plenty of other sightings. And I mean, of course, when you're talking about older cases with the newspaper and reports and things like that, all I can do is report what the news said. And that's not always 100% percent accurate but it's still part of the story all the best i can do is go to the area look around go is this a place where something happened or could have could have happened and interview what modern witnesses there are and try to get a first-hand story at least at least some first-hand stories in every case so that, that's kind of the way you all the best you can do so lyle now that we know your process a little bit what is your favorite like when you go through and you think about your research or think about the books you've written and, and the, the time you've spent, we've obviously all spent a good portion of our lives uh, looking at things that a lot of people like look at us like, what are you, what are you weird? And you're like, yeah, yeah, I'm weird. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so when you're going through and you're thinking about uh, your favorite bits, who is your number one monster? Well, it has to be the Boggy Creek Fountain Monster. <laughs> I mean, it's, you know... I've just become, you know, the spokesperson, I guess, for that case. And I mean, known for that and now films and books. And I've written a follow-up called Beyond Boggy Creek. So almost everything I do somehow gets related to Boggy Creek. And I've worked a lot with the small town to try to offer something for visitors to, to look at because people come from all over the states, all over the country. So that's my favorite monster. And it's so surreal in such a way because as a kid watching that film back at a drive-in when I was a little kid, to imagine that I would someday be part of that story, that I would know the people. I could go to that town and people recognize me and I know all the spots where all the things occurred. It's just mind-blowing. So that's that's my case and probably what I'll be most remembered for. People still interview me about the Falk Monster book as much right now as they did when it came out, along with all the other stuff. So that, that's it's my favorite. It's my hometown monster, so to speak. Well, that's how we feel about the Beast of Bray Road. You know, because it's like when we were growing up, like you'd be, I remember like in the early 90s, the, the sightings would be and they'd be on the news. You know, that with two glowing red eyes and somebody saw a wolf man and Elkhorn. You're like, whoa! 
this was the coolest news report ever. <laughs> well, so if you were putting together, so like Wendy's been to the uh, the Mothman Museum in Point Pleasant, and they got a you know they got a whole bunch of stuff there. If you were putting together the Boggy Creek Museum. Like, what kind of exhibits would it have or what kind of documentation would you... I mean, you'd obviously have a theater that shows the movie and then maybe shows your movie, too. You're like, well, I get a royalty every time my movie plays. You want to play it like six times a day? (laughs) Uh, Kind of thing. So what would you have in the Boggy Creek Museum? Well, I mean, that's not too far from reality because uh, at the Expedition Bigfoot Museum in Georgia, I've assisted with uh, a display there on Boggy Creek. Uh, and we've slowly been working on something better at what's called the Monster Mart in Falk. And Monster Mart, just if somebody Googles that, there's a giant Bigfoot head on. It's the coolest convenience store ever. Um, we're working on a section. So what I would have in that display is what we're is what will be in that display. We have uh, press uh, materials from the making of the movie. We've got uh, 35 millimeter reels of the movie of the trailer. Um, I've got uh, pieces of some of the homes that you see in the movie, sc- screens from the windows, boards, uh, f- photos of locations. I've got uh, looking over there. Oh, I, there was somebody in the film that was featured, an old hermit. I went out and ex- excavated his old shack, which was built in the middle of the bayou, in Mercer Bayou. This guy just lived out there, and he was shown in the movie and kind of became popular from that. I excavated his stuff. I've got you know, moonshine bottles. I've got pieces of his, his shack. Uh, that kind of thing would be in there, posters. Um, we have a lot of uh, tracks and things that have been found, a lot of souvenirs, memorabilia. That would all be there. Um, pieces, a smoky crab tree is a, is a figure that was in the movie. He was kind of the Boggy Creek guy before me. Um, His name was Smoky Crabtree? Smoky Crabtree. Yeah. Oh, you remember I brought the, I brought it to the, no, I remember we were talking about the, the cabin, movie earlier. That? I just forgot the name, the guy's name was Smoky <laughs> Crabtree, which I would, I yeah. would pick that, that next time I check into a hotel, that's going to be my secret name. Uh, <laughs> I mean, his real name, first name was Julius. So you, you say, I, Smoky sounded cool. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, he was, you know, I would, I've been working with his uh, son to get some, uh, you know, perhaps a hunting outfit or something from Smokey because he's so well known. He's written several books. So all of that would be in this museum and something we're actually working on in Falk to give people something a little bit more uh, to see when they, when they go there. I want to go to the Monster Mart. Yeah, let's. (laughs) I mean, you have, I mean, you have. I mean, it's great. Well, before we wrap, um, one last question for you, Lyle. So we get done to Texas every year for South by Southwest. We drive through Texas. Uh, we always, you know, usually drive through Dallas and uh, Fort Worth sometime before we hit Austin. Is there a great stop off or a great town or anything like that? Any small town monster ways on the way down uh, through Texas on the way to Austin that we'd have to stop by, take a picture or something like that um, that you'd recommend? Well, um, I mean, there's the Lake Worth monster, which is uh, near Fort Worth, not far from me. That was a case. There's no small town necessarily associated with that, but it, uh, it's a famous case that you can visit the location where some of the witnesses were attacked back in 1969. Um, uh, you know, I mean, if you veered off close, you could go to the Monster Mart if you 
took that route. So maybe a little bit out of the way, I think, from Wisconsin route. Mm-hmm. But that would be that would be the closest and most significant and awesome right there. I mean, just a photo with the Bigfoot on the front of the Monster Mart is, you know, is, is something that all people who are interested in this should have. Um, that would be the best. Um, and uh, when you're in Austin, you need to go to the Museum of the Weird. If you haven't, it's Ooh, not yet. It's, what? I mean, they housed there is the original Minnesota Iceman, the famous Minnesota Iceman. It's got displays on Bigfoot. Um, it's got a cool little section on uh, this some investigator named Blackburn. Uh, <laughs> hey, all right. Yeah. And, and hey, another local connection, the Minnesota Iceman discovered right here in Wisconsin at State Fair Park in Milwaukee. That that's where the original was found. Right, and he, you know, Steve, my friend Steve Boosty owns the uh, Museum of the Weird. So it's it's located in the the Lucky Lizard store on Sixth Street. So you definitely got to go in there. Tell tell Steve or just tell the staff that you know your friends of mine, you know, <laughs> and, and you check out the museum. It's 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 a you know that's a definite stop. You can see the awesome. Minnesota Iceman thing. Um, as seen on shipping wars, we did a. It was. It was when he purchased. When Steve purchased that, it was from Minnesota. We did a shipping wars episode uh, that I was also on, in order to transport it here. So people are like, what were you on shipping wars? I'm like, they wanted. To, they did a Minnesota Iceman thing. I'm on it. That's fantastic. I can't wait to check Man, that well, out. We'll definitely. Be, we're we're definitely going in March. So cool, that's awesome. Now, where can people find more of your stuff? Uh, where can they listen to your band? Like, before we go, we got to tell everybody where to find more about Lyle Blackburn. Well, you could always start at my website, lyleblackburn.com. Uh, it's got links to everything from there. I've got my online store uh, where you can buy autograph books and things from me. It links off to my band, Ghoul Town, um, which is a whole other topic. Uh, and uh, of course my books are also available on Amazon, barnesandnoble.com they come in all the flavors and ebook and Kindle and Nook and and everything else so if you just search me, hit my website it's got information and all the small town monsters movies uh, you know, it's plenty of of links there. Perfect, thank you very much for spending some time today with us Lyle Thank you Lyle Thank you And now Inspired by Lyle's series, Small Town Monsters, uh, let's go straight to the Sunspot Song of the Week. And this one is called The Middle of Nowhere.
Watch for the devil hiding concealed Hide from the children in the cornfield Cause you know that nothing is the way it seems And we don't need to lock our doors Cause evil don't need to knock And on every main street square Looks a force under the block Somewhere in America The dead will start to walk In the middle of nowhere You can escape the dark Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find us online at othersidepodcast.com. Until next time, see you on the other side. Ooh, but before we go, what? before we head out of Wisconsin from huh? the cold to the warmth of California, yes, we need to give a shout out to the coolest people we know. Oh, and that would be our beloved Patreon community. The people who choose to help keep See You on the Other Side podcast and business going every single week with songs, music, podcasts, interviews, videos, presentations, live shows. And Wendy, I've got something else exciting to talk about. You do? Yes. Well, and please do. We just got invited back to be featured performers at the Haunted America Conference in Alton, Yay. Illinois again this year. I love that conference. So I know that we met a whole bunch of our listeners at uh, the Haunted America Conference in Alton. So we are heading back and Sunspot's going to be performing. We're going to have a table uh, and we'll have various little performances to kick off the conference and throughout the weekend. And everybody who comes and joins us and part of our Patreon is going to get a special gift. Wow. I cannot wait. That's going to be great. So if you guys are interested in becoming part of that community uh, where we get to uh, hang out every month, talk about different things, make suggestions for shows, make suggestions for different paranormal stories we cover, uh, the place to do that is when? Othersidepodcast.com slash donate. And a special huge shout out to our Patreon, Ned, yeah. who is pledging us at a level where he gets this very shout out on every single episode. And Ned, we love you. Thank you so much for all of your support and your enthusiasm for our podcast and our band. Dr. Ned, you are a true and true rocker, and we appreciate your support. And everybody in our Patreon community, if you'd like to join, othersidepodcast.com slash donate. A wolf man at Elkhorn? That's like 15 minutes away already.